welcome to Greenhouse. I'm Mike Pats, one of the pastors around here, and I want to especially give a little shout out to everybody that's online right now. I'm going to be trying to interact with you guys a lot. I've really been praying about some of you that are watching at home. I see some good people. Got Robert on there, got Sarah, Danley. Well, everyone say hello to Danley. Everyone say, what's up, Danley? Danley, good to see you, and Miguel, and we got some Karen, and man, there's a bunch of you guys on. Anyway, God bless you. Welcome. Go to Matthew chapter 28, if you would, stand to your feet. I would love it. And we're going to read from this short passage. Who was here last week? Who had joy last Sunday to be in worship with God's people? What a joyful Sunday. What a joyful Sunday. Matthew 28 is where we're going to follow up on last week. Matthew 28, 18 Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Jesus, help. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I was at the gym this week, and a guy came up to me. He knew I was a pastor, and I sometimes end up being like the little resident pastor for people that don't have a church, you know, or whatever. And one guy came up to me and said, hey, man, can I ask you your pastoral advice? I said, sure. He said, should I get the COVID vaccine? I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm just kind of concerned if I get the COVID vaccine, is there any chance I could accidentally be taking the mark of the beast? How would you answer that question? <laughs> I said to him, do you understand what the mark of the beast is? He's like, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I don't, I don't want to accidentally take the mark of the beast. And I said, you know, this reminds me of last week when we were talking in the sermon about the fact that God gives us joy. But he gives us joy for being in covenant with Jesus. And I said last week that it's possible to like Jesus but not be in covenant with Jesus. It's possible to, to like someone and you're not married to them, to love someone and you're not married to them, to be engaged to someone, you're not married to them, to be going steady with someone, you're not married to them, to be attracted to someone, you're not married to them. It is possible that you like Jesus and you've never come into covenant with Jesus, that you are attracted to Jesus, never come into covenant with Jesus, that you believe in Jesus but never come into covenant with Jesus, the Demons in hell believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, but they are not in covenant with Jesus. It is possible to believe at some level with your head in Jesus, but not have a covenant with Jesus from your heart. And last week was a call to really come into covenants. But I can't really talk today too long before I make clear to you that this covenant that we have with Jesus is not just like any other kind of a covenant. For example, I'm in a covenant with my wife, Ruth, who is here, and my, my wife and I are in a covenant, and we are equals, meaning husband and wife are equals. The Bible says, submit one to the other. There is an equality that happens. She's made in the image of God. I'm made in the image of God. We come together. We have different roles, but we are equals. We are in, an, in, in a covenant of equality, and I need you to understand now that I am describing a covenant that we have with God, but it is not a covenant of equality because the covenant we have with God is a covenant where he is the Lord and we are his people, where he is the king and we are his people. And when me and Ruthie disagree, sometimes she's right, sometimes I'm right, but when me and Jesus disagree, he is always right. <laughs> this is called lordship. Now, I want to talk about covenant today. 
I'm going to get down to baptism because someone asked at the altar, do I have to get baptized if I want to go to heaven when I die? But I want to start by talking about covenant, and I want to talk about the nature of the covenant that we have with Jesus, and the nature of the covenant is lordship. So I go back, I was in the gym talking to the guy, Mike, is there any chance I'm about to get the, the mark of the beast? To which I said, you know what the mark of the beast is, and let me tell you what I told him in the middle of the gym this week. Go back to first century, there's a place called Ephesus. Ephesus was a place that the apostle John lived, he ends up being outcast to the island of Patmos. But in the place of Ephesus, there was something called the Agora. Everyone say Agora. The Agora was like a market. This is where you would buy. This is where you would sell. Ephesus was an interesting city in the first century. It's the Roman Empire. Roman Empire was awfully wicked, pretty evil, especially to to Jews and Christians. But Ephesus in particular was like this, this bridge city between the east and the west of the world. And people would come in there. They would buy things. They would sell things. But to understand the Roman Empire, you've got to understand Roman Empire and emperor worship. Okay, So the demand of God's... Uh, well, the demand of the emperor and the demand of the empire was that everyone would worship and give, pay homage to the Caesar. In fact, they had a declaration that they insisted that you say, and that declaration was, Caesar is Lord. How many of you would not like to say that? Good answer, all right? Caesar is Lord. Now, what they would have is these agoras that would pop up, like the one I think that's up on the screen. You would go in to buy and sell things, and in the agora, where you would go and do your business and do your stuff, they would have shrines, and they would have these little areas of worship where uh, they tell us, that historians tell us, that there would be these priests of the emperor that would be there to, to kind of secure this, and you would go and burn incense and bring worship to the, the, the emperor. And so sometimes they would walk in there, and people were kind of disputed on how this happened, but some people would say that there'd be like some kind of little incense that you would throw into the fire several times a year. You might have to say Caesar's Lord, but no matter what, you had to pay your duty and bring your worship to the emperor. Well, this, of course, was a problem for people when they became Christians, because when they became Christians, their declaration can no longer be Caesar is Lord. For the Christian, there's only one Lord, and that would be, which is why the declaration of every follower of Jesus is, and you can say it with me, Jesus is Lord. In fact, let's say it one more time, even online. Ready? Jesus is Lord. So you had a dilemma, and the question for Christians in Ephesus, and the question for Christians in an emperor worshiping first century was, what are you going to do when they ask you who is Lord? What are you going to do when they come and they tell you, you know, kind of, you know, do one of these little things? Well, if you've ever read the book of Acts, you'll find in the book of Acts, for example, uh, there was times where there were people that were buying and selling idols and whatnot. And so when someone became a follower of Jesus, they would no longer do this. They had things that were almost like a, a trade guild. They'd almost have like this little deal that would go on where all the people came together and they had these agreements. And some historians tell us that when you would go to the priest and you make your things to the emperor, they would even give you a little, a little ink block or a little ink mark or a little stamp. And it'd just be like a little mark of ink that they would put on your hand. And if they put this on your hand, then you were free to go into the market and to buy and to sell. But if you didn't have the mark, you could not go and you could not buy and you could not sell. Well, the Christians, they would speak in cryptic language because you're trying to stay incognito at some level. But Christians had a title for the Roman Empire and specifically for the emperor. And that title they had would be the beast. So when you went to these places to go bring your worship, literally, if you wanted to buy and sell, you had to go get the mark of the beast. 
Now, I am not saying there is not a future fulfillment of what the mark of the beast is. That is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that there isn't something to, you know, barcodes or future one world government, all of that future fulfillments of, of the book of Revelation. What I am telling you is, for sure, whatever the mark of the beast meant, it meant for sure in the first century when they're telling you to compromise your faith and go bow down to Caesar and call him Lord, Christians were the people that would walk in and have to say, I will not take the mark, even if it means I'm a farmer and I can't go sell my stuff in the market, I would rather go hungry in faithfulness to Jesus than to bow down because Jesus Christ is Lord and God is my provider, not the Roman emperor. And when I would come in and I'm a seamstress, if I've got my wares and I walk in and they say, burn your incense, and I'd have to say as a Christian, I will not burn the incense. And they tell us that even priests would sometimes run out to the market and say, do not trade with her. We are canceling her. She is done. We don't work with her. Nobody sell or buy with her because she would not come and bring her, pay her homage and bring her honor to the emperor. Now, when I'm talking to the guy in the gym, here was my point. Whatever the mark of the beast might mean in the future, I am... I am less concerned that you accidentally take a mark of the beast in a vaccine. I'm more concerned that you're taking the mark of the beast every single day when you allow Jesus' lordship to submit to some other lordship. The mark of the beast happens every time you walk into an environment where they say you can do whatever you want to do with your money because you made it. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I know that's what the United States of America says because the almighty dollar runs the show. But the, the Bible says God is the Lord of everything, including your money. So in a culture that says do whatever you want, I'm like, I can't do whatever I want. Everything I have belongs to the Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord, not the almighty dollar. In a culture that says your body is your own, you can do whatever you want to do with your own body, your sexuality is all up to you, the Bible says your body was bought with a price by Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Your sexuality has to bow to Jesus. So even in a culture that's going to say you can do whatever you want to do with your sexuality, the Bible says, no, Jesus Christ is Lord, not you, not this culture, not anything else. And when you walk into the markets of America and they cancel you for one thing or another, we've got to remember our people have been getting canceled for 2,000 years. Jesus Christ is Lord. Mike, what does this have to do with your sermon today? It has to do with this. When Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18, Behold, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus has all the authority. And so when we come into covenant with Jesus, well, I'm not coming into a covenant with an equal. I'm coming into covenant with a Lord. Which means when me and him disagree, and it happens all the time. This covenant means when we're in disagreement, one of us needs to shift, and that is not the one that is the Lord who does not change. That is me who changes like the passing wind that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Lordship means that the covenant that I'm in is a covenant where I appropriately recognize I bow my body, my soul, my family, my everything to the king who is Lord. Can I get an amen? amen. Number one. The nature of the covenant is lordship. Number two, the sign of the covenant is baptism. Verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them. Now, we struggle with this because we're in the, in the 21st century. 
But let me take you back. Give me Colossians 2. Because in Colossians 2, the Apostle Paul gives some insight. Because it's, it's very confusing to a lot of us. And we're like, well, let's go make disciples. And we feel like baptism is like an, an option. Like, well, do you really have to? That's what someone asked at the altar. You know, do, do you have to be baptized to be saved? Do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? It's kind of like saying, when well, you're getting married. Do I have to say I do? Do I have to put the ring on the finger? Do I have to kiss the bride? Do we have to go on a honeymoon? Do we have to consummate this whole thing? At some point, you've got to start asking, are you sure you want to be in a covenant when you're not willing to do what the other member has told you to do, especially when he is the Lord? The sign of the covenant. So here it is, uh, Colossians 2.11. Give me 2.11. In Colossians 2.11 it says, In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of flesh by the circum now leave the verse there for a second by the circumcision of Christ. Let me stop for a second because in the Old Testament, the sign of covenant with God was circumcision. If someone wanted to become a follower of Yahweh God, they had to be circumcised, them and all of their male children. Okay, so imagine you are a Gentile that's wanting to become a follower of Yahweh. They come and they're like, "Hey, what do you have to do?" Or when you're, for example, when Moses married Zipporah and he's about to go and tell Pharaoh, "Let God, let my people go," but yet Moses had not gotten his son circumcised yet, and so God was like, "All right, there's a death sentence on you, Moses, because you've broken covenant." And then Zipporah's like, "Oh my gosh, how you know? What do you do?" to me and she circumcises their child, throws the foreskin at Moses' feet. I know this sounds like PG-13. It's in the Bible. Get used to it. And so there it is, foreskin at his feet. He's like, whoa, sorry, my be. In the Old Testament, you wanted to come into covenant with God, you had to get circumcised. Is any man in this house glad we're not in the Old Covenant? Imagine me doing an altar call. Who wants to get right with God? We're going backstage. Got a stick, bite down hard. <laughs> you talk about good news. When people say, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. Imagine when someone's like, it's time to come in a covenant. That's when women were like, thank God I'm a woman. <laughs> in the old covenant. That's what it says. This circum- Watch, the circumcision of Christ. But what is that? Verse 12 tells us, watch. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The New Testament sign of covenant with God is baptism in water. Yeah, thank God. Amen. In the new covenant, when we come into covenant with Jesus now, what we do is we now get baptized in water. And I want to get clear, and I'll say some more of this stuff. Every single believer in the New Testament was baptized in water except for one. A thief on a cross who had a logistical challenge in front of him or nailed to him. With the exception of a thief who was going to die within a few minutes, every single other follower of Jesus in Scripture got baptized on the day they knew it was God's will. Not after a nine-month commitment of like, well, I'm going to go through a class so I can learn everything I need to know. Listen, when a husband and wife get married, they have no clue what all the challenges are before them. They don't understand everything. They just know, I got to get into covenant first before we start doing all the stuff. You don't have to understand all the nuances of what it means to obey Jesus, to obey Jesus. And please know this, getting baptized is a step of obeying Jesus. 
The sign of the covenant is baptism. So Rabbi Neil Lash, I'm going to walk down here, and I hope you guys are going to be able to follow me on this. Rabbi Neil Lash, we'll see if you can see me online. If you're online, I'm walking over here to these baptismal tanks. Rabbi Neil told me, he said, Mike, it's kind of hard for you guys that are first, you know, 21st century Gentiles to understand what first century Jews knew very well. Jewish people had lots of ritual baths that they would take. So that's what we would use the word baptisms or immersions. But what this people, what they would do this because it was sort of separated like, do you really want to do this or do you not really want to do this? This water, for example, right here, and we're going to do some baptisms in here. We've already had multiple baptisms this morning. Beautiful, I mean, precious, tears flowing, precious, beautiful. When someone got baptized, they knew this represented a cleansing wash. This was the, the cleansing waters of baptism. So when someone was getting baptized, they knew, let's just take the mark of the beast. Have you lived a life where there's been, I mean, I don't know about you, I've had so many marks of the beast, so many marks of my compromise, so many marks of my sin, so many times. Baptism represented the cleansing water of the blood of Jesus to wash you clear from your sins. In addition to that, Jewish people knew this represented something like a grave. We just read it in Colossians when it says, buried with Christ, just like Jesus was put into the grave, put into a tomb, buried with Christ in baptism, and then raised together with him in new life. That when we get baptized in water, we are reenacting not just that we are committed to him, but what he did for us to get us committed to him. That when we come to Jesus, there is a way in which the baptismal tank represents the death to your old, the old, the old me is dead. The old me is gone. The old me is done. There's a putting away of that. You die to the old and you come up to the new. Similarly, Jewish people would say that this was like when a woman, when her water breaks, okay? We've had eight kids, haven't seen this a thousand times, I've seen it eight times. You know, we've ruined some mattresses like this, but you know when the water comes out, there's some joy that's going to be happening because life is going to come. This, for Jewish people, represented a newness of life. They already knew. You are being born all over again. Furthermore, if a woman wanted to get married... When someone wanted to get married, they would have to go and she'd have to show her certificate of baptism because a woman being married was saying, I'm leaving the authority and the name and the legal status of my dad. I'm no longer a dependent of my father. I am now married. To, I've left my mother and father to be joined to my spouse. I, let's say a, a woman was married, or let's say her dad's name was Harvey Schlockenbacher, and she wanted to get a better last name, so she wanted to get the name Pats. She would, get, she would have to go and leave the name Schlockenbacher to get baptized into the name of Pats, and when she came up out of that water, now she's no longer going to just be the old, now the new has has come. Or as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Now here's why this matters so much. This is the, I'm talking about the sign of the baptism. The reason this matters, this sign of the baptism matters so much is when someone gets baptized, that is where they're saying, I want to have a new name. I want the name of Jesus covering me. I recognize I need to be cleansed. Jesus can cleanse me. I need to have a shifting of authority. Jesus, I'm shifting and I'm coming under your authority that you are the Lord. I want you to come and to bring me into your place and I need new birth. And here's why it matters so much. And this is the third point. This is the power of the covenant. Because when he says, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit spirit and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded, please listen to this very carefully. Right now, we have a religious dilemma in the United States of America because we are expecting people to fulfill the teachings of Jesus 
without first being transformed into the name of Jesus. Let me say it differently. When you, are, when you are teaching people and demanding of people to obey the teachings of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit, but you haven't first baptized them into the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, you're asking them to do something they're not able to do because you cannot clean the outside of the cup according to Jesus until you first clean the the inside of the cup. Religion basically comes to the caterpillar and says, hey, little caterpillar, look at you, little cute, you cute little caterpillar. This is what religion does. This is what dead Christianity does. This is what every religion in the world does. Caterpillar, try. Caterpillar, fly. Caterpillar, you got this. Come on, come on. Come on, try harder, try, and when you don't do it, when you don't fly, when you can't pull it off, we're going to cut, we, we will shame you, we're, we're going to put you down, we're going to make sure that happens. The message of gospel, of Jesus, goes like this, caterpillar, you're going to get some things right and some things wrong, but you don't just need to try harder, you've got to get transformed and grow wings, because caterpillars must become if they want to fly. Listen to me, friends. Right now, even culturally, we have a, a world full of people that are, like, we've got righteousness demands and, and justice. I mean, think of all the, the areas of righteousness and justice. And we're like, man, why won't people just do what they need to do? And listen, I'm 100,000% in favor of getting righteous laws, just laws. We need laws that are going to fight systemic oppression, all of that. I agree with Martin Luther King Jr. who would say, listen, it's great if someone, you know, let's wait around for someone to change in their heart. But I need good laws because at least that will protect my body. True enough, I need you to know, though, the message of the gospel of Jesus is not just to give laws on the outside to restrain human hearts. The message of Jesus is to get the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the nature of the Father and the Son and the Spirit on the inside of someone so that the inside of the cup gets changed and then it makes its way to the outside of the cup. And in a world right now that is trying desperately to force caterpillars to fly, we have the answer to unrighteousness. We have the answer to injustice. We have the answer to all the ailments of our culture. If we could get Jesus on the inside, working on the outside, we could change every side. Mike, what, what, what's your point? My point is, Jesus knew what he was talking about because he knew there'd be a 21st century Christian church that would be, church, trust me, every single Sunday, churches are teaching. Oh, we teach and teach and teach and teach. In our culture, we've got TED Talk after TED Talk after TED Talk after TED. Everybody knows we should be better, but we don't get better. Why? Because the problem is not the dirt on the outside of the cup. The problem is the grunge on the inside. And what baptism is, it's an immersion. That's why I don't believe in sprinkling. That's why I believe that you'll notice in the New Testament, every time someone got baptized, they would, John was always coming up out of the water because when you got baptized, you were immersed. Every crack and crevice of your soul and your body was covered by that water. And when Jesus comes into covenant with someone, he doesn't just want your pinky. He doesn't just want your finances. He doesn't just want your family. He doesn't just want your, your public life. He wants every ounce, every day, every dollar, every bit of you. And when he gets it, you come alive. And that's what he wants. See, that's why the, the nature of the covenant is lordship. The sign of the covenant is baptism. The power of the covenant is transformation. It's transformation. And there are some of you that have been trying so hard, like, oh, love your enemies. Don't look at porn. 
Tell the truth always. Be good to your neighbors. Be faithful to your, to your spouse. You're trying so hard to do what you should do. And the problem is you need a new nature. And when you grow wings, you're like, I've been crawling on my belly all this time when God made me to fly. Listen, caterpillars. Jesus made you to fly. But you're going to have to get transformed. And transformation comes from this covenant. And I don't know how to explain, like in Joshua 5, when, when God came to Joshua and, and they were about to go in the promised land. But before they did, he's like, Joshua, you're not ready. Joshua, Israel's not ready. Why aren't they ready, Lord? Because they're not circumcised. Imagine 40-year-old men, 35-year-old men, all the children that were born in the wilderness. None of them had been circumcised because their family was unfaithful. And none of them had been circumcised. Imagine being one of the 35-year-old men. And God's like, you are going to take the promised land. Yes. I will be with you. Yes. I've given promises to you. Yes. I will never leave you or forsake you. Yes. But you've got to be in covenant with me. Yes. What does that mean? It's time to get circumcised. Imagine being one of the hundreds of thousands of Israelite men that are like, say what? And all their wives are like, baby, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for you. <laughs> Interceding. But the Bible says in Joshua chapter 5, when they did that, he says, today, today, after 40 years, today, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. There are some of you that there is still a shame and a reproach from your past, and you're going to get baptized today, and it's going to be rolled away forever. Because when the king says, I do... And the pastor says, and what about you? And you're like, mm, I think I want to look more into this. I think I'm going to wait until a Sunday when it's not so rainy outside. I think I'm going to wait until I've got some more people. There is no better time than the day that you know it's God's will to do God's will. And it is time to do God's will. My, what do you want me to do with this sermon? Well, I, number one, I want you to be a vessel. Some of you might say, well, Pastor Mike, I've already been baptized. I guess this sermon does not apply to me. Well, well Jesus spoke this sermon to Peter, James, and John, who had already been baptized. And he told them, I want you to go make disciples baptizing people. So let me ask a convicting question. When's the last time you baptized somebody? Because if you have already been baptized, part of your job description from Jesus is to help other people get baptized. Moms and dads, at least start praying for your kids. Well, I'm praying for what school my kid's going to go to with due respect. Oh, pray for their school. Pray for who they're going to date. Pray for their gifts. Pray for their Enneagram. Pray for their Myers-Briggs. Pray. But pray that your child comes into covenant with Jesus. Do you have coworkers that have never been baptized? Well, I don't know. That's none of my business. It's totally your business. That's what Jesus, Jesus said. It's your business. I hereby deputize you, your business, to help people come into covenant with Jesus because the reproach is going to get rolled away from them. If you've got coworkers, friends, neighbors, family that have never been, men, microchurches, ask God that even this year before the year's over, you'll get a chance to help see people get baptized in the, immersed in the name, character, power of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So if you've never helped someone get baptized, Maybe you're even sitting by someone today. You're like supposed to ask them, do you want to go up there? I'll help baptize you. In fact, if you come up with one of your friends, I'll get you to help baptize them. 
Number one, you be a vessel. But number two, back to the question this guy asked at an altar. Do you, do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? I, I, I think it's the wrong question. You know, it's, it's kind of like saying, do you, do you have to obey to go to heaven? It, it's an obedience issue. I don't think a human mind can fully appreciate what baptism means in heaven. When people say, oh, it's just a, it, it, it's just a, a physical thing. And it's, it is physical. I'm telling you, it's not just physical. Something, something more mysterious than I can put into words happens when someone gets baptized in water. And they come up out of that water. And if you've never been baptized, today is the day to honor Jesus and to glorify his name. You might say, ah, but I've been a Christian for so many years, man. I'm like, um, what's everybody going to think? What everyone's going to think is, Jesus is worthy. Look at this. You might be like, ah, but Mike, man, if I get in there, I'm going to get wet. Like, when I come up, what's everyone going to, what are they going to think when, let me tell you what no one's thinking. No one's like, oh, I always wondered what he would look like when he was all wet. (laughs) No one's going to care. Everyone's going to be like, what? Jesus got in a grave for you, and you're getting in a baptismal tank for him. Glory to God in the highest. That's what everyone's going to think. If you've never been baptized, today is the immediate step of obedience as soon as someone believes the gospel is to get baptized. If it's been postponed up till now, maybe because you never understood it, no sweat. Just start obeying now. Just start getting it right now. Now is the time. This is the day. But, but Mike, it, it, it just seems like it's so humbling. Like, like oh, it's just such a humbling thing. It is. And that's my last point. The, the means of salvation is Jesus, who humbled himself. I'll, I'll tell a parable, then I'll take it to Jesus. One of my favorite stories of parenting is, is a, a child that was, was raised and grew up to be a very popular girl, pretty girl, popular in every sense of the word, and everybody liked her. But as she grew up, she was somewhat ashamed of, of her mother who was severely burned. And she wouldn't want her friends or her boyfriends to get near her mother who was clearly marked with something tragic all over her body. She was just burned for, almost from head to toe. And it was, it was quite a sight to behold. When she was almost out of high school at one point, she was in one of these places where she would try to avoid having her mother come to the settings where she was because she didn't want to have to be seen and explained. And, and what, she, was just, she was just ashamed of her mom. It was like, ah, oh. She loved her mom, appreciated, but she didn't want that stigma. And at one point, her mom came to something she didn't want her to come to as she was trying out. And she finally ended up running out. And when, when her mother said, hey, baby, what, what, what's wrong? She's like, oh, I'm just so ashamed of you. Look at you. I'm just so ashamed. And she ran off. And that night when her father came home, he went to her room. He said, honey, I, I need to talk to you. There's something we've never told you, but it sounds like it's time for you to know this because we didn't want you to have to feel any way about this. But when you were just a little girl, a fire broke out in our house. I was able to get your brothers out. I was able to get out. Your mother was out. But you were the only one that was not able to get out. And as the fires were coming down, the firemen had come, and they said it was too late for anyone to do anything. And you were going to be left, left to die. 
your mother would not heed these warnings and she ran back into the house. And as you can imagine, her poor beautiful body was burnt to a crisp as she walked out with you in a blanket, laid you in my hands before she collapsed. So you see her scars, they're not hers, they're yours. Jesus comes to earth and he bore our reproach. He comes when John the baptizer was baptizing and he was baptized, although he didn't need to be for his sin, but he was identifying with sinners. And then Jesus makes his way up on a cross where our reproach and sin and shame was laid on him. He took our scars. He took our scorn. I'm I'm not saying this to hype you up. I'm saying this to truth you up to understand. Baptism is that place where we say, Jesus, you laid down your life for me. I now surrender my life to you. That is what happens in baptism. Is it, is it possible to be self-conscious? It is, which is why I don't want your eyes on you. I want your eyes on him. See, covenants were a curious thing in the ancient world. There were many kinds of covenants. Very few of them were equal. Almost all of them had a superior and an inferior. It was very frequent in history to have a superior king, a greater king, a mightier king, a more rich king, a more powerful king, and he would come into covenant with a lower kingdom or a group of people. He would say, will all of you come into covenant with me? And they would make a covenant. And he would say, all right, we're going to be a covenant. I'm going to give you some level of provision and protection, but here's the deal. The terms of the deal are my life will be preserved at all costs. And if necessary, your life, in fact, all of your lives will be exchanged for my life. So you went into a covenant which was not mutual and it was not equal. It was a covenant where a superior leveraged his superiority at your expense. And you'd have to lay down your life and die for him. The message of Jesus is he's the one king ever who flipped the covenantal script. The greater one did not come and say, you will die for me. He said, I will die for you. Friends, every time we get baptized... It's a reproclamation. I mean, last service, someone got baptized, and right after service, they said, Mike, every time I see someone come up, I just start weeping. I remember again that what Jesus has done. And I proclaim to you right now the gospel of Jesus that he has done for you what you could not have done for yourself. And he has offered you a covenant that he wants you to turn It means to repent and to be baptized. It means to seal that covenant, to come on his terms and to say, you are the Lord. See, the the nature of the covenant is lordship. You're the Lord. The, The sign of the covenant is baptism, which I'm hoping some of you are about to say yes. The power of the covenant is transformation. There's a transformation that happens when you're in full covenant with God. But the means of the covenant, it was Jesus himself. It was the blood of Jesus. And I'm hoping that right now there's some of you online that are ready to do this. In fact, if you're online and you know that you need to get baptized today, I want you to type baptism to the number on the screen. We had people do that last service. They're coming back tonight to get baptized. Some of them might get baptized right there in their houses. If you want to get baptized on FaceTime, I will get on a phone and I will FaceTime you and someone else. Put clothes on, but I will FaceTime with you and get get you baptized in a bathtub if we have to. Or you can drive up here and we will baptize you. If you need to do that online, if you're online and you know that today, if you've never been baptized and you are ready to follow Jesus as Lord, type baptism to that number and we're going to go from there.